Darkcast Network. Out of the shadows comes the best of indie podcasts. Barney and Betty Hill were an American couple who claimed that they were abducted by extraterrestrials in the rural portion of the state of New Hampshire for two days in September 1961. The incident has become called the Hill Abduction, or the Zeta Reticulal Incident, because the star map shown to Betty Hill could possibly be the Zeta Reticulal system according to some researchers. The story was later adapted to the best-selling 1966 book The Interrupted Journey and the 1975 television film The UFO Incident. My name is DJ and this is the Mythical True Crime Podcast. The Hills lived in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Barney was employed with the United States Postal Service, while Betty was a social worker. Active in the local Unitarian congregation, the Hills were also members of the NCAA, CP, and community leaders, and Barney sat at the local board of the United States Commission of Civil Rights. They were an interracial couple. At the time, it was particularly uncommon in the United States. Barney was a black man, and Betty was white. According to a variety of reports given by the Hills, the alleged UFO incident sighting happened around 10.30 p.m. September 19, 1961. The Hills were driving back from Portsmouth from a vacation in Niagara Falls in Montreal. Just south of Lancaster, New Hampshire, Betty claimed that she had observed a bright point of light in the sky that moved below the moon and the planet Jupiter upwards to the west of the moon, while Barney navigated U.S. Route 3. Betty reasoned that she could be observing a falling star, only it moved upward. Because it moved erratically and grew bigger and brighter, Betty urged Barney to stop the car for a closer look, as well as walk their dog, Delzy. Barney stopped at the scenic picnic area just south of the Twin Mountain. Betty looked through binoculars, observed an odd-shaped crafts flashing multicolored lights and traveling across the face of the moon. Because her sister had several years earlier said that she had seen a flying saucer, Betty thought it just might be what she's observing. Through binoculars, Barney observed what he reasoned was a commercial airliner traveling through Vermont on its way to Montreal. However, as soon as he changed his mind, because Without looking as if it had turned, the craft rapidly descended in his direction. This observation caused Barney to realize that this object was a plane, but not a plane. Or in his words, quote, this object that was a plane was not a plane, end quote. The hills said that they continued driving on the isolated road, moving very slowly through the Fraconia Notch in order to observe the object as it came even closer. At one point, the object passed above a restaurant and a signal tower atop of the Cannon Mountain, and then came down and out near the Old Man of the Mountain. Betty testified that at least one and a half times the length of the granite cliff profile was about 40 feet or 12 meters long, and it had seemed to have been rotating. The couple watched as in silent, 
illuminated craft moved erratically and bounced back and forth in the night sky. About one mile south of Indian Head, they said, the object rapidly descended towards their vehicle, causing Barney to stop in the middle of the highway. A huge silent craft hovered about 80 to 100 feet, about 24 to 30 meters above the hill's 1957 Chevrolet Bel Air, and filled the entire field of view of their windshield. It reminded Barney of a huge pancake, in his words. Carrying his pistol in his pocket, he stepped away from the vehicle and moved closer to the object. Using the binoculars, Barney claimed to have seen about 8 to 11 humanoid figures, all who were peering out of the craft's windows, seeming to look at him specifically. In unison, all but one of the figures moved to what appeared to be a panel on the rear wall of a hallway that encircled the front portion of this craft. The one remaining figure continued to look at Barney and communicated a message telling him to, quote, stay where you are and keep looking. Barney had a recollection of observing the humanoid forms wearing glossy black uniforms with black caps. Red lights were on what appeared to be bat wing fins that began to telescope out the sides of the craft, and a long structure descended from the bottom of the craft. The silent craft then approached to what Barney estimated to be about 50 to 80 feet overhead and about 300 feet away from him. On October 21, 1961, Barney then reported to the National Investigations Committee on Aerial Phenomenon in the investigation, oh sorry, the investigator Walter Webb, that the beings were somehow not human. Now, immediately after arriving home at about dawn, the Hills stated that they had some odd sensations and impulses that they just couldn't readily explain. Betty insisted her luggage had been kept in the rear door rather than in the main part of the house. Their watches never worked again. Barney said that the leather strap that the binoculars uh, were on the binoculars were torn, and though he couldn't recall them tearing. The toes of the best-dressed shoes were scraped. Barney said that he was compelled to examine his genitals in the bathroom, though he found nothing unusual. They took long showers to remove possible contamination, and each drew a picture of what they had observed. Perplexed, the Hill said that they had tried to reconstruct the chronological events that they witnessed with the UFO in their drive home. But immediately after they heard the buzzing sounds, their memories became incomplete and fragmented. After sleeping a few hours, Betty awoke and placed the shoes and clothing that she had worn during the drive into the closet observing that the dress was torn at the hem, zipper, and lining. Later, when she retrieved the items from her closet, she noticed a pinkish powder that was on the dress. She hung the dress on her clothesline, and the pink powder blew away, but the dress was irreparably damaged. She threw it away, and then changed her mind and retrieved the dress and hung it in her closet. Then, over the years, five laboratories conducted chemical and forensic analysis on the dress. There were shiny concrete circles on the trunk's car's trunk that had not been there previous day. Betty and Barney experimented with a compass, noting that when they moved it in certain spots, the needle would whirl rapidly. When they did move it a few inches away from the shiny spots, it would also drop down. Walter Webb, a Boston astronomer and NICAP member, 
met with the Hills on October 21st, 1961, as previously mentioned. In the six-hour interview, the Hills related all they could remember with the UFO encounter. Barney stated that he had developed a mental block, that he suspected that there were some portions of the event he didn't wish to remember. He described in detail all that he could remember about the craft and appeared to be of somehow not human figures aboard it. Webb stated that they were telling the truth, and the incident probably occurred exactly as reported, except for some minor uncertainties and some technicalities that were uh, must be tolerated for such observations when human judgment is involved. For example, exact time or length of visibility, apparent sizes of objects and occupants, and even distance and height of objects, etc. Ten days after the alleged UFO encounter, Betty began to have a series of vivid dreams, which continued for five consecutive nights. She stated that she experienced them to a degree of detail and intensity that she had never had before. After the fifth night, they stopped and never recurred again, though they occupied her thoughts during the day. When she mentioned them to Barney, he was sympathetic, but not too concerned as the matter was dropped. Betty didn't mention them to Barney again. In November 1961, Betty began writing down the details of her dreams. In one dream, she and Barney encountered a roadblock and men who surrounded their car. She then lost consciousness and struggled to regain it. When she did, she realized she was forced by two small men in the front of the forest at night and seeing Barney walking behind her, though when she called out to him, he seemed to be in a trance or sleepwalking. The men stood about five to five feet four inches tall and wore matching blue uniforms with caps similar to that of worn by military cadets. They appeared nearly human, with black hair, dark eyes, and prominent noses, but bluish lips, and their skin was a grayish color. She and Barney were taken from their car, uh, where the leader suggested that they wait to watch the cap, uh, craft's departure, and they did, and they resumed their drive home. After this quick message, we'll be right back. If this is your first time tuning in, I encourage you to subscribe to the show so you can hear all the other episodes, as well as what we have coming up in the next few weeks. Having read Webb's initial statements, uh, Jackson and Hammond both had questions for the Hills. One of their main questions at this time was the length of the trip. Although the Hills had noted that they arrived at home later than anticipated, it was a 178-mile drive that could have should have taken around four hours. They actually didn't realize that they had, had arrived home seven hours after their departure. When Holman and Jackson noted the discrepancy to the hills, the couples said they had no explanation. It's actually known as a phenomenon from UFOologists called missing time. The hills claimed to recall almost nothing from the 35 miles of Route 3 between Lincoln Indian Head and Ashland, both claimed to recall the image of a fiery orb sitting on the ground. Betty and Barney reasoned that it must have been the moon, but Hammond and Jackson both informed them that the moon had set earlier in that evening. The subject of hypnosis came up, and it was decided that it should be carried out in order to recover previously irretrievable memories. Barney was apprehensive, but he thought it might help Betty put to rest what Barney described as the, quote, nonsense about her dreams. On November 23, 1962, the Hills attended a meeting at a 
parsonage of their church, where Captain Ben H. Sweat from the U.S. Military Air Force Division was a guest speaker. Having an interest in hypnosis, the Hills approached Sweat privately and related uh, some of their strange encounters with him, and Sweat, particularly interested in the missing time portion of the Hills' account, told the Hills and asked him if uh, he would hypnotize them to recover their memories. Sweat declined and cautioned them against going to an amateur hypnosis such as himself and must seek professional. Under hypnosis, which was a constant uh, with conscious recall, Barney reported that the binocular strap that he had broke uh, at the time of the UFO back in the car, he recalled driving the car away from the UFO, but then afterwards felt irresistibly compelled to pull the off to the road and then drive into the woods. He eventually sighted six men standing in the dirt road, and the car stalled, and three of the men approached the vehicle. They told Barney not to fear them, but he was still anxious, however, and he reported that the leader told Barney to close his eyes. While hypnotized, Barney told him, he said, quote, I felt like the eyes had pushed into my eyes. Barney described the beings as generally similar to Betty's hypnotic, not dream, recollection. The beams often stared into his eyes, as Barney said, with a terrifying, mesmerizing effect. Under hypnosis, Barney stated that these things, quote, oh, their eyes, they're, they're in my brain, from his first hypnosis session, and, quote, I was told to close my eyes because I saw two eyes coming close to mine. I felt like the eyes had pushed into my eyes. That was from his second hypnosis session. And all of these eyes, I'm not even afraid that they're not connected to the body. They're just there. They're just up close to me, pressing against my eyes. While Betty reported a conversation with the leader in English, Barney said that he heard them speaking or mumbling a language which he didn't understand. Betty also mentioned this detail a few times they communicated with him. Barney said they seemed to have been uh, like a throat tra transference at the time. He was unfamiliar with the word telepathy. Under hypnosis, Betty's sessions were quite different. Her account was similar uh, with the five dreams more so about the UFO abduction and some notable differences mainly pertaining to her capture and release. Also, the technology on the craft was different, and the short men differed significantly in appearance, and the sequential order of the abduction differed. Barney and Betty's memories of hypnotic regression, however, were constant with one another. Now, when the series of hypnosis sessions were over, Simon wrote an article about the Hills in his journal, uh, Psychic, sorry, Psychiatric Opinion, which explained his conclusion that the case was a singular psychological aberration. The Hills went back to their regular lives. They were willing to discuss the alleged UFO encounter with their friends, family, and the occasional UFO researcher, but the Hills apparently made no effort to seek publicity. On October 25, 1965, front-page story in the Boston Traveler asked, quote, UFO chiller, did they seize couple? Reporter John Luthrell of the Traveler uh, uh, had allegedly been given an audio tape recording of the lecture that the Hills made at the Quincy Center in late 1963. Luttrell learned that the Hills had undergone hypnosis with Simon, and he obtained notes from the confidential interviews the Hills had uh, given with their UFO investigators. On October 26th, the United Press International, UPI, picked up Luttrell's story, and the Hills earned international attention. 
1966, writer John Fuller secured the cooperation of the Hills and Simon to write his book, The Interrupted Journey, about the case of the... The book also included a copy of Betty's sketch of the star map. Uh, the book was a quick success and went through several printings. Later, February 25th, 1969, at the age of 46, Barney died of a cerebral hemorrhage, after which Betty uh, went to become a celebrity in the UFO community. On October 17th, 2004, at the age of 85, she died of cancer, and she had never remarried. Now, about this star map... In 1968, Marjorie Fish of Oak Harbor, Ohio, uh, reading Fuller's book, Interrupted Journey, uh, she was an elementary school teacher and an amateur astronomer. Intrigued by that star map, she would wonder if it had been deciphered to mean or even determine which star system the UFO might have come from, assuming that it was one of the 15 stars uh, on the map must represent Earth's sun. Constructing a three-dimensional model later uh, using nearby star-like, uh, sun-like stars, or examples of stars that deemed to have characteristics that could support life, uh, using a thread and beads and basing stellar distances of those published in the 1965 star catalog, uh, studying thousands of vantage points over several years, only one of them seemed to match the Hills map with the viewpoint of a double star system in the Zeta Reticulo area, which is about 39 light years away from Earth. Fish sent her analysis to Webb, who agreed with her conclusions, and then later Webb sent that to Terence Dickinson, the editor of the magazine Astronomy. Now, Dickinson didn't endorse Fish or the conclusions of Webb's findings, but it was for the first time in the journal's history, Astronomy invited comments and debate about UFO reports, started up an open article in December 1974 issue. For about a year afterward, the opinion page in astronomy carried arguments for and against Fisher's, uh, Fish's star map. Notable was the argument made by Carl Sagan himself, arguing that the star map was little more than a random alignment of certain points. Now, in an episode of The Cosmos in 1980, Sagan did comment and demonstrate that without lines drawn on maps, the Hill map bore no resemblance to any real-life map. In contrast, those were more favorable of the map, such as David Saunders, a, st a statistician who said he's been uh, long condoned UFO studies, disagreed with Carl Sagan. Now, Saunders claimed that the match, along with 16 stars with specific spectral, uh, spectral types among the thousands of stars of the nearest sun, are at least a thousand to one against it, and it must be true. In the early, early 1990s, a European... Uh, mission, which is a Hipparchos, which is a high-precision parallax collecting satellite, measured the distance to more than 100,000 stars around our sun, and more accurately than ever before. And it showed that some of these stars in Fish's interpretation of the map were, in fact, much farther away than previously thought. Other research revealed that some of the stars counted by Fish as likely hosts uh, for life would have been excluded by her own criteria. Uh, and some of the stars that actually had been discounted by Fish had been recognized as potential abodes for life. Results of these led Fish to reject uh, herself to reject her hypothesis in a public statement she made. Now, in 1966, the publication of Interrupted Journey by John G. Fuller details much of the Hill's claims. Excerpts of the book were published in Look magazine. 
Now, psychiatrists later suggested that the supposed abduction was a a hallucination brought on by the stress of being an interracial couple in the early 1960s United States. These are rebutting the the Hills. Uh, Jim McDonald, a resident in the area in which the Hills claimed to have been abducted, had produced a detailed analysis of their journey, which concludes that the episode was provoked by their misperceiving an aircraft warning beacon at the Cannon Mountain as a UFO. McDonald notes that the road the hills took, the beacon appears and disappears at exactly the same time the hills describe the UFO appearing and disappearing, and that the remainder of the experience was ascribed as stress, uh, sleep deprivation, and even false memories, quote, recovered by hypnosis. After reading McDonald's recreation, uh, UFO expert uh, Robert Schaefer writes that the hills were poster children for not driving while sleep deprived. In a column... Uh, in the Skeptical Inquirer, Robert Schaefer actually wrote this, quote, I was present at the National U.S. UFO Conference in New York City in 1980, at which Betty presented some UFO photos she had taken. She showed what must have been far more than 200 slides, mostly of blips, blurs, and blobs against a dark background. Those were supposed to be UFOs coming in close, chasing her car, landing, etc., after her talk and had exceeded about twice the allotted time, Betty was literally jeered off the stage by what was uh, to be the first sympathetic audience. This incident witnessed by many UFOlogies, leaders, and top activists removed any lingering doubts about Betty's credibility. She had none. In 1995, Betty wrote a self-published book, A Common Sense Approach to UFOs. It was just filled with delusional stories such as seeing entire squadrons of UFOs in flight and a truck levitating above a freeway, end quote. Schaefer later wrote that uh, as late as 1977, Betty Hill would go to on UFO vigils at least three times a week. One evening, she was joined by UFO enthusiast John Oswald. Uh, when asked about J- uh, Betty's continuing UFO observations, Oswald stated, she's not really seeing UFOs, she's calling them that. Uh, on, on one night when we put together, Miss Hill was unable to distinguish between a landed UFO and a streetlight. In a later interview, Schaefer recounts that Betty Hill wrote, quote, UFOs are a new science, and our science cannot explain them. Schaefer released 48 pages of archived documents relating to Betty and Barney Hill, and Benjamin Simon and even Philip Class on the internet uh, in December 23rd, 19, or 2015. So it's all listed there. In 1990, there was an article written by a man named Martin Kottenmeier suggesting that Barney's memories revealed under hypnosis might be more influenced by the episode of the science fiction television show The Outer Limits, uh, specifically the one titled The Bellarow Shield, which the broadcast about two weeks before Barney's first hypnotic session. The episode featured an extraterrestrial with large eyes who says, in all the universe, in all the unities beyond the universes, All who have eyes have eyes that speak. The report from this regression featured in the scenario uh, that was also respects similar to that of the television show. When the researcher asked Betty about the Outer Limits episode, she insisted that she had never heard of it. Pottmeyer later also pointed out that there are some motifs to the Hills account that were present in the 1953 film Invaders from Mars. Now, the, these characters have been publicized in popular culture for, for a while now. Barney Hill was, for example, in an episode to tell the truth, 
which aired in 1966. Uh, the couple was actually portrayed by James Earl Jones and Estelle Parsons in the 1975 film, uh, adapted at the same time called The UFO Incident. Uh, there were even a 20, 2015, it was reported in uh, that Gothic Gotham Principle would adapt the 2007 book uh, into a film and a television series. In 2018, a story formed the basis of the Dinner Party virtual reality exhibit uh, was shown in Wonder Spaces. And not only that, Betty and Barney Hill have been the topic of many, many podcasts over the years, non-fictional television programs that have discussed the encounter, uh, including my show, Mythical True Crime Podcast. If you enjoyed this show, I recommend subscribing. Subscribing helps me monetarily help me produce these shows and continue my work. Also, visit me on social media. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and I post regularly. If you have any questions or suggestions for new episodes, I could listen to them there as well, and I reply pretty quickly. Thank you very much for listening to the Mythical True Crime Podcast. My name is DJ. Good night. Thank you very much for listening tonight and being part of the Mythical True Crime community, hosted by me, DJ. Subscribe to Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to get your weekly updates. And if you like what you hear, consider subscribing. Subscribing will directly support the show and the work that I'm doing. If you'd like to be a new supporter, consider clicking the link in the description box below. For less than a cup of coffee a month, you can help me continue to make great content for listeners everywhere. No commitment, cancel any time. This has been the Mythical True Crime Podcast. My name is DJ. Good night.